Thank you very much. Can you hear me? Is it on yet? One, two. One, two. Microphone check. One, two, one, two. It works. Great. Good morning. Um, I just want to start with a story. Um, some years back, uh, Abby and I were invited round to our friend's house for an evening of fun and games. Okay, I am not a fan of fun and games evenings. And I think, actually, I think that the reason is, is because of this story I'm about to share with you. I think this is the sole reason I hate fun and games evenings. Perhaps you also hate and perhaps them as well, and maybe you can relate to this. So we went around to a, a friend's house for this evening of fun and games, and there were a number of other couples in the room, some friends of ours. I think there are four couples, or so. And our friends had, um, had got this new games console. Uh, and so what we were going to do was play this game called SingStar. Can I, by way of show of hands, anyone heard of SingStar? Okay, for those of you that have never heard of SingStar, SingStar is a game on the PlayStation or the Xbox or maybe on a, a, a new console. And what you do is you divide into teams and you sing along to a popular soundtrack or a, popular, a pop song. A well-known pop song. And rather than having games controllers, you have microphones. Not like this cool mic, but like the handhelds. And what you do is you compete against the other team to see who can score the most points, like any normal game, right? Uh, and you gain points by singing accurately, singing in tune. Uh, uh, and you lose points by singing out of tune, right? Makes sense. You lose points by... Uh, not singing in time with the music and gain points by singing in time with the music. I thought, right, I thought, I've got this down. I've been doing this for a long time. I sit, for those of you who don't know, I lead worship. I've been doing so for a very long time. And I thought, great, this is an easy win. And the boys were confident in me. So we decided to divide into two teams, boys and girls, a uh, great battle of the sexes. And, and the girls were like, I know, this will really, you know, they're going to get married in a few months' time. Why don't we make Abby go against John? And they can resolve this conflict for the rest of their lives. So we did. Uh, it was Abby versus John in the sing-off of the century. And I can't even remember the song that we were singing to. I was poor. I was rubbish at this game. I was out of tune. I was singing flat. I was singing sharp. I was singing out of time. And, uh, and Abby went on to win this game. And I remember, it's one of those moments where everyone in the room is like, this is awkward. Uh, I, I just had a real hissy fit. I was so upset. I was so fed up. I was so angry. How can I lose at this? How can I? And we got into the car, and Abby and I had a massive fallout. Uh, and we're still, uh, no, our marriage is fine. This isn't, this isn't an ongoing issue. We'll be pleased to know this is resolved. Um, I just don't play games anymore. I don't go to games evenings. Stay well clear of them. What I realized, looking back, and I think I only realized this recently, is the reason I was so upset, the reason I was still so hurt, is so much of me, so much of my, where I get my worth, where I get my value, where I get my validation from, is in my singing. See, singing is a large part of leading worship, if you hadn't noticed already. And if I'm not any good at singing, and I can't wing this sing star, then I'm not any good at leading worship. And if I'm not any good at leading worship, well, who on earth am I? What value do I bring to anything? You know, this is the one area I think, oh, I, I'm good at this. This is, this is part of me. And all of a sudden, to have that, or to do badly at that, uh, impacted me. I want to put to us that every single one of us searches for, longs for, 
desires validation and approval. It doesn't matter what your upbringing is. It doesn't matter where you're from, what country, what your parenting has been like. All of us search for approval and validation. In fact, Jez shared that story very briefly just now that the children who need hugs a lot, children need hugs a lot. They need to be told that they are approved. They need to be told they are worth. They need to be shown that they are valued. And all of us, it's no different. We grow up, we change a bit, but we long for approval and validation. This morning, we're going to be continuing our teaching series on faith, titled By Faith, and we're going to jump into verses 11, or chapter 11, verse 4, and we're going to read about, we're going to see three characters and see how they are validated by God and how that gives them a sense, of, how that can give us as readers a sense of fulfillment and a sense of purpose for the future. Okay, so if you want to turn to Hebrews 11 in your Bible, or if not, it's going to come up on the screen behind me. And we're going to start in verse 4. It says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, verse 5, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, you all got that? Followed along with that? So last Sunday, last Sunday, we looked at the role and the nature of faith. We saw that faith, uh, faith to, to, to describe faith, we use words like confidence. We use words like assurance, conviction, resolve, and understanding. We saw that faith doesn't throw science out the window. It doesn't get rid of logic. You don't throw your brain out when you choose to believe in something. Rather, what faith does, we saw and unpacked, was help bring purpose and value to science and logic. Well, this morning, I want us to see that faith is active. If you like, faith is almost a verb. I don't think it is. But it's a, it's, it produces. It causes. Faith is, is not sterile. Faith is not... I'm trying to think of another word than that. Faith causes. Faith provokes. Faith is active. Now, for example, this is not a very good example, but tomorrow morning I have work. And tonight what I'll do is in preparation for tomorrow, I will pack the van. I'll stick in at the mowers. I will stick in the hedge cutters, chainsaws, things that I think I need for work. Now, this sounds a bit morbid, but tomorrow might not necessarily come for me. I could die in my sleep. Uh, tomorrow might not happen. I might get called off. The client might ring and say, actually, you know what? Um, we don't need you. Thank you very much. We found someone more handsome and better. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> not hard? No, I don't think so. Um, but in faith tonight, I will pack my van for tomorrow. Now, that's a small example, but what I want to say is 
faith. Faith motivates action. We hear about, maybe you've heard the term practicing Christians. Perhaps you've been described as a practicing Christian. Oh, you're, you're a practicing Christian, are you? Oh, right, one of those. Uh, in fact, the world very much like faith, people who, who are quiet about their faith. Oh, he's got a quiet faith. Oh, don't worry, he won't try and impress anything upon you. I want to say faith is active. Actions are the vital signs of faith. When you look over a corpse, you check for its vital signs. Or perhaps when you go to hospital. Last month, I had a big operation. Um, can you tell? New hair? No, I'm kidding. Uh, it was nothing like that. Um, so I went for an operation last month, and they check your vital signs before and after. They look for blood pressure. They look for pulse. They look for a heart rate, and they check your temperature. Those are the vital signs of being alive. I want to say that faith has vital signs. In James 2, which is the very next book after the book of Hebrews, it says that faith without actions, or he says faith without works, is dead. A human body without any temperature, without any pulse, without a heart rate, without any blood pressure, is dead. Faith without actions, faith without works, however you want to say it, it's dead. In James 2, he says faith and actions, faith and works, they go hand in hand. The, the writer describes someone who says, ah, you have faith, I'll get on and do stuff. And, and, and James is like, no, 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 you're missing the point. They are one and the same. Faith has consequences. Faith has actions. Another example, a small example might be breathing. Every one of us breathes. We inhale and we exhale. Now, if you inhale and you don't exhale, you're dead. Or if you exhale and then you don't inhale, you're dead. I want to put it to you, faith is like that. You inhale truth about God and you exhale response. Perhaps you inhale truth from his word, the Bible. Perhaps you inhale truth from friends. Perhaps you inhale truth from a Sunday morning. Perhaps you inhale truth from the, the, the world around us, the location that you live in. And we exhale response, belief, thanksgiving, praise. Faith is like breathing in that respect. It produces a response. In the, in the passage we just read, we saw three men, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And what we're going to observe is that they, their faith produced action. It produced sacrifice, it produced obedience, and it produced, produced devotion. Faith has hallmarks in the lives of the men we just read and in the lives of us as a church this morning. We're going to have a very jump, quick jump into the text and have a look. Um, in verse 4, we read about Abel's faith and the produce, what it produces. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by act, uh, accepting his gifts. Abel's faith, passed down from his father Adam, produced a response. It produced a sacrifice. In fact, we read that it was a better sacrifice than his brother's response. We read that Abel, Abel's sacrifice was, and in fact, if you read the text, what the, the next verse in Genesis is suggesting, that the problem with Cain's sacrifice was the heart behind the sacrifice, the, the motives behind the sacrifice. 
But Abel's faith produces a sacrifice. And not only does he sacrifice, but what he does is he takes the very best. It says that Abel takes, and again, reading through Genesis, he takes the firstborn of his flock. He takes the first of his produce. The first that his flock have produced, his livestock, his livelihood, you might say, and he offers them to God. because He says, because I am convinced, because I am convicted, because I believe, because I am insure, assured that God is real, because I am assured that God loves me, because I am assured of God's purposes, that he's for me, I'm going to produce a sacrifice. And he takes his best and he surrenders it to God. In verse 5, we read that Enoch. It says in verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken up so that, we should not, so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. He was commended as having pleased God. Enoch is a, I don't, I don't know if, how well you have read your Bible, uh, or how, how well you know your Bible, but Enoch is a strange character. He turns up, he lives for a few hundred years, and then disappears. God takes him. And you think, that's odd. Why do we need to know that? And, and, and why does God take him? Um, biblical scholars, so I did a little bit of research and, 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 and study, and we saw that biblical scholars, people that study this and comment on it and look at other books and they try and compare it, they note that actually part of the reason that Enoch is taken is because he's considered righteous, which means he's considered perfect. So it says because of his righteousness, he's taken up that he should not see death. So Enoch is considered as someone who is righteous and perfect before God. But what I want us to draw from that is he is a man who is devoted to God. He's a man who, if sacrifice is to give up in view of God, because of God I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to give up, then devotion is because of and in view of God, I'm going to hold fast to him in spite of all else. So we've seen that faith produces sacrifice, and we've seen that faith produces devotion. Someone who is devoted to God in spite of everything else. We see it again in Noah. In verse 7, we all know the story of the flood, Noah and the flood. Noah, in the book of Genesis, is told by God, I want you to build an ark, I want you to put your family in it, get two of every kind of animal, and hide in it because I'm bringing judgment on the earth, on the evil that is in the earth, um, and I'm going to save you through this boat. And so uh, Noah has this incredible obedience where he starts to construct this uh, ark. And I don't know if you, um, have you seen the film Evan Almighty by show of hands? Maybe a few of us might have seen that. It's a light-hearted, <clears throat> a light-hearted storytelling of the story of Noah, essentially. It's the same story, but done in modern times. But what it helps show us is the absurdity of what Noah is doing. I think that's what I gained from it. Just, that was incredible that Noah had the obedience, to, that his faith empowered him to be obedient to that extent. You can imagine his, his family or his, yeah, probably his, his very own sons going, Dad, Dad, this is a little awkward. You realize there's no sea around here, Yes. Or you can imagine his, his neighbors just going, what is he up to? That looks remarkably like a boat. And we're in a desert. Can you imagine? And he says, no, I believe God has called me to... He's like, right, this guy. Stay clear of Noah, everybody. But Noah's faith 
empowers him to stay obedient in spite of what people say around him. Faith produces actions. And I don't know if you noticed in the reading, but in all three examples, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, all three men are commended for their faith, not their actions. God wasn't like, no, that's, a, that's the best ark I've ever seen. God wasn't like, wow, that's a great ark. Or um, uh, Enoch, well done, you are so perfect. Every time you don't sin, I'm just like, wow, that's incredible, great job. Or, or um, Abel, impeccable sacrifice. I mean, that's the very best of you. God doesn't do that. Instead, he notes the faith. He says, the faith which, I'm going to commend your faith. It's faith that attracts God's attention. That isn't the sort of thing that does it in our society. Faith, it's not our faith that we get appraised for in a work setting, is it? It's not the character behind. Often we get appraised for what we have done. Often we get appraised for what we have achieved. If you have an appraisal in your work setting, the boss is like, well done, we are 10% up this month, or great job, because we are selling more than we've ever sold before, or great job, John, that is the best mowed lawn I've ever seen. We get appraised for what we do, and very rarely do we get appraised for the character that sits underneath. God takes note of the value, and the writer to the Hebrews wants his church to know that. He wants them to know because they're experiencing persecution for being Christians. They're, they're being discouraged for being, uh, to be Christians. They're being told, look, Jesus has come along and given you this whole new teaching, you strange Jewish believers, and why don't you just revert back to the faith that you've been taught for the last thousands of years? And they're being told and they're being swayed back to, back to what they what they previously believed, but, and they've been told to reject Jesus. But this is not good for you. And, and the writer of the Hebrews is saying, no, don't give up. Remember these men, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, and remember it was their faith that they were commended for, not their actions. The writer is saying, come on, guys. He's like a, he's like a coach at the ringside at a boxing match. He's saying, come on, you can do it. Remember Rocky. You've seen the film Rocky. You can make it through this fight. Yes, every underdog story you've ever heard of, you can be that underdog. You are that underdog. You can go on to win. Hold fast. Stay firm. Believe. That's what the writer is saying to this group in the Hebrews. And we can take that today. Because what we saw in the beginning when I told my story is that we are searching for approval and validation. These men receive that from God, and we can receive that from God this morning. It's God's approval, God's validation that counts. We, um, Abby and I went out for a, a meal recently with some good friends of ours. Um, they, they don't go to church, they're not believers. And um, we sat down around the dinner table uh, in a restaurant in Lewis, and it was, it was Ryan's birthday. Ryan's a, a big guy. In fact, he's a scary-looking guy. Uh, and the, the two of them are, are so different from Abby and I, it's quite fun being around them. And uh, we were sat around having dinner, and we were celebrating Ryan's birthday. And I thought, do you know what? There's a fun game that me and some of my church friends play 
when it's our birthdays. When it's someone's birthday, what, what a few of us do is if we're going out for a drink or something to celebrate someone's birthday, what we do is we go around the table and we say something nice and affirming about that person. So, um, so I thought, great, this would be a great idea um, for Ryan and Roxy. And I thought, I have no idea how they're going to... In fact, Abby was like, what are you doing? This is not cool. And uh, so I said, right, we're going to go around the table and one by one, let's just say something that, that we... Uh, to affirm Ryan, to say something that we are impressed by in Ryan's life. So I said, I'll go first. And I said, just Ryan, I am impressed by how you are so dedicated to your children in a world where absent father is rife. And yeah, and I'm impressed by how you are dedicated to looking after and playing with your kids and caring for them and teaching them. And he was like, wow, thanks, John. And then Abby went and she said something about Ryan. And then Roxy went. And Roxy, his wife, she's never played this game before. She's like, I love this game. Ryan, you're so good at this. And Ryan came away and was like, I feel so... I feel, I feel so fulfilled. I feel so valued. I feel validated. And what God does is he validates Abel, Noah, and Enoch. And he validates us as well this morning. In fact, we see in Matthew, Matthew verse, or chapter 3. Let me jump there very quickly. Um, before Jesus has done absolutely anything, before he's healed anybody, before he has died on a cross, before he has turned water into wine, before Jesus does anything, he goes to be baptized. And it says this at Jesus' baptism. Oh, wrong page. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold... A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus has done nothing at this point. And God sees fit to open the heavens and audibly speak so that everyone in that community can hear. And he says, This is my Son. I love him. I am pleased. He affirms Jesus in public. At the beginning, before Jesus accomplished or done anything, God affirms him. Now, I think we need that. Perhaps, perhaps this morning you read at those examples, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, and you think, I don't have their kind of faith. Um, in fact, I did this myself a couple of weeks ago. Ross shared a story about um, how he was able to pray for a friend at work and actually say to them, I believe God says you're going to have a child. And two weeks later, that person returned and said, I'm pregnant. And um, I just remember hearing that story again. I don't have that kind of faith. Perhaps some of you did that as well. I know that I regularly compare myself to other people. And I think, I, I don't have that kind of faith. I hear of Noah's obedience and his, his, um, his, his conviction to build an ark in spite of everything else around him. And in spite of the absurdity of it all. I don't have that kind of faith. So yeah, often I'll count myself out. Or I feel invalidated. I feel like I did at SingStar. I just, if I can't do that, then what have I got? In fact, I do this again. Another way I do this is every time I speak to my brothers and my dad. I have two brothers, 
Um, I've got Phil and Mike. And Phil, is, uh, he works in Her Majesty's Prison Service. He's a prison officer. And Mike, is, uh, he works in the aviation industry. Both of them are in what I would call proper jobs. Um, my father, he has been a policeman for, as, since I was born. And he is policed in Dulwich, in Peckham, in Brixton. Then we moved into the West Country, and he did policed in uh, Dorset, which is a very different sort of policing. And, and then eventually he went on to teach policing in Bournemouth, and now he teaches English as a foreign language. All three, my father and my two brothers, I've always considered to have proper jobs. And I have often, often when I will speak to them, and they'll ask me how things are going, or they'll come around and see me, or perhaps even Abby and I will be going through a crisis because it's January and I need to pay however much money in tax. Every time that happens, I feel invalidated. I feel not dis- I don't feel my father's disapproval, but I do feel like, come on, John, is this really what you want to be doing with your life? Is this wise? You parent three children. And I do. And what I do is I end up feeling invalidated. Now, my, my father has been the perfect, uh, he's been a fantastic father. And my brothers are great brothers. They're an encouragement and a, a source of exhortation to me. But I do. I compare myself. I line myself up with them and go, I, I just don't measure up. I'm not like them. I, and I can go away feeling invalidated. And I think that's a real thing that every single one of us in this room has experienced. That's not just me. And I'm sure of that because I've spoken to other men in the room and they feel the same. And I'm not convinced it's just a few of us strange men that are involved in leadership that are doing it. I think every one of us finds the feeling invalid, or feels invalid, feels disapproved of, and struggles with this. My faith takes a knock. I wonder if Noah's did. I wonder if Enoch's did. My faith takes a knock every time I experience rejection or loss. I feel like Gideon. I'm like, I don't know if you heard of the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. He's a man who God calls him to do something, and he's like, all right, I will prove that you're with me. And God's like, okay, here's the proof. Does something amazing. And, God's, and Gideon's like, okay, that's helpful. Do it again, and I'll definitely believe this time. And God's like, oh, I've done it once already. And he goes, come on, do it again, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll believe you. And God's like, okay, do it. Does, it. does it again, proves to Gideon that he's with him. And Gideon's like, great, twice is good, but I need three. I don't know if perhaps you feel like Gideon. You're like, oh, I just, oh, just got to test this, right? Really? Uh, my faith is wobbly at the best of times. My faith does this. Sometimes I'm high, sometimes I'm low. But what happens with Jesus, and the reason this is exciting this morning, is because Jesus takes our wobbly, dodgy faith, our childlike, tiny, limited, wavering faith, and he perfects it. In the very next chapter, Hebrews 12, the writer's like, look at Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of your faith. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Let's look at Jesus. Because Jesus is better, a, better than Abel. Jesus is a better Abel. So Abel offers a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. Abel is validated. It's his faith that God validates and approves of. It's well done, Abel. Jesus is better because Abel offers our first sacrifice in the Bible. He offers the first human sacrifice in the Bible. What Jesus does is he offers the last sacrifice. See, Abel's sacrifice was good. It was nice. It was great. It pleased God. 
But what Jesus does when he offers up himself is he takes upon himself the sin of all mankind. See, the Bible story is that we've made mistakes and that our mistakes land us on the wrong side of God's judgment. But Jesus' sacrifice atones for, makes a way for us. Jesus' sacrifice is the last sacrifice because after Jesus' sacrifice, you don't ever need to sacrifice again because Jesus' sacrifice is enough. Jesus is better than Abel. You can know complete forgiveness, can be welcomed in as a child of God, and that gives you the deepest sense of security you can know. Jesus is better than Enoch. Enoch, Enoch, that strange individual who disappeared, was commended as having pleased God. In Genesis it says he walked with God. He was approved righteous by God. He was approved perfect. Well, Jesus lived a perfect life without fault. And what happens is as he dies upon a cross and takes upon your sin, he exchanges your sin for his righteousness, which now means that because of Jesus' perfection, you and I can come before God, stand before God as those made perfect, holy, and blameless. That's why Enoch is insignificant to Christ. That's why Christ is all the more glorious than Enoch. That's why Christ's perfection is so much more beautiful than Enoch's. Christ's perfection is given to us so that you and I can be called holy and blameless. Jesus is better than Noah. Noah is devoted to God. Noah is obedient to God's call, does incredible things because of his faith. But what we see with Jesus, where Noah's obedience rescues his family through the waters of God's judgment, he saves them in a boat, Jesus' faith, Jesus' obedience to God, Jesus' obedience to God takes upon himself our wrongdoing, takes upon himself God's judgment of sin. He goes through the waters of God's judgment so that we don't have to. So that one day you and I can stand before God, perfect, holy and blameless. And when we face God's judgment, God says, hello son, hello daughter. Because of Jesus, when God says, you're my son, I'm well pleased, he can say that over you and I. Because you've been validated by Christ, because you've been approved by Christ, you and I, we are homely and blameless before God the Father. That's why it matters this morning. See, our behaviors are driven by our need for approval and validation. Without it, we can disappear into a dark gloom of our own mistakes and our own problems, and it can let it descend upon us, and we can feel invalidated, we can feel self-pity, we can feel all these things. But what Jesus does and, and what the Father does is he strengthens us and empowers us. My son is playing football this afternoon, and every time he makes a save, or every time he dives, he plays in goal, by the way, uh, every time he dives for the ball, he turns around to me and goes, Dad, was that right? A great dive, son, but the ball's in the back of the net. <laughs> Every time he goes to catch the ball or makes a decision in goal, he will turn around and go, Dad, is that okay? 
See, we desire our Father's approval, but you can find it in the eternal Father. It's him that strengthens us. Every time I lead worship, I turn around to Jess and I'm like, was that right, Jess? I'm still doing that. Why is not the Father's approval enough? It is enough. I forget that. Because when God has approved, no one else can reasonably disprove We saw the other week, broken people break people. Hurting people end up hurting people. But empowered people go on to empower people. I was in a sermon um, some months back, and, and he spoke about eldership and the role of eldership in the church. And he said, what good eldership does is good eldership empowers and releases. It doesn't monopolize. And that was like, well, I haven't seen that before. Good leadership, good stewardship, good faith empowers people. And you don't have to be a Christian to recognize that we live in a world that is broken, in a world that is hurting. And there are other faiths as well that perhaps they offer escapism or complacency. That's the way the world is. But the reason I think that this faith is better, the reason I think is because it offers a hope of restoration for you and I, with our strange character traits, it offers hope of restoration. It doesn't, it's not blissfully unaware, but it offers hope. A good psychiatrist can help you see the roots of your behaviors. He says, you act like that, well, it's because you feel like this, and, and you feel like this because of this. Well, we can operate for so long that we... We just perceive that to be something the way we are. I was thinking about this last night, and I, I think it's a bit like Stockholm Syndrome. The Stockholm Syndrome you've probably heard of is where the captive is eventually starts to feel empathy, and not only empathy for the captor, the one who's holding them, but starts to side with them. I think we can do that with our, with our character traits, with, our, with what we believe to be true about ourselves. We just go, That's, I've... I've been like that for so long that's just me i mean that's part you take that away then again who am i but what i want to see is that our behaviors don't define us but god defines us god approves you christ jesus approves you and he offers freedom for all hebrews 11 was written as an encouragement to a church two thousand years ago It was an encouragement to the church to stay steadfast, to hold on, to not give up. Don't be put off. Don't be persuaded. Don't be dissuaded. Hold fast. Come on, you can do it. It's the same encouragement to one and us, to to us this morning. We might not be experiencing the same level of persecution, but we still experience the same emotional battle on a day-to-day basis. And Jesus offers hope, encouragement, because you are approved you are validated by god you can trust god because ultimately it's him that gets the last word he's the one that will vindicate you it doesn't matter how small or broken your faith is it's made perfect in jesus we're gonna break bread and respond now but i want us to stay i want us to see this it's jesus who makes us whole it's Jesus, it's that tiny snippet of faith in us that Jesus makes pure and glorious before God the Father.
Um, if the band could come up, we'll break bread in a moment. Why don't we just close our eyes? And I think just respond for a moment, just in the stillness, in the quiet. Because you don't need to search for the approval of others anymore. You're like, oh, I've always done it though. God approves you. He validates you. He loves you. He is for you. Jesus, we we thank you that you offer a better sacrifice than Abel. We thank you that by your sacrifice we can approach you now as sinless. We thank you for your perfection so that we can now stand here as those made perfect before God. We thank you for your obedience. We thank you that you you took upon yourself the judgment for our mistakes, our sin, our wrongdoing. We thank you that you have welcomed us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. When we stand together.